Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And if you were listening to last episode, we heard from an old friend. So apparently Mephisto's bored again. And he's screwing with us again. So we're doing a crossover again. But that means at least I get to talk to some other people. So that's fine. So we are stuck here, besides Mephisto, with Tim Price and Rick Heineken from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. What's up, Tim? Hey, Al. Doing good. Except for, you know, that darn Mephisto. He just, you know, he moved into my house right after the lockdown order came in. And he just hasn't left. He says he's pretty at risk. Like his age group is somehow at risk for this. I don't understand that. It's That's partially my fault. After the last crossover, he kind of st- was still here and sacked out here for about six months, and I kind of kicked him out early this year. Um, <sighs> uh, well, I yeah. Well, thank you for that because man, he's eating all my Cheetos, and and it's like he just won't he just won't get off the Disney Plus. I don't know what the heck it is. He's puts, always on the Disney Plus. Puts the ice cream back in empty, doesn't he? Yes. Yes. Every time when he finishes the lemonade, does he make a new picture? No. Yeah. No. I asked him, I asked him to walk the dog once. No, no. He makes the dog a freaking ghost rider. Now I got to run around putting out flaming pee everywhere. <laughs> that is the worst. I'm just confused why he's watching Disney plus and not shutter. I mean, I, or the Hallmark channel. I would think that'd be one of the two, either shutter or Hallmark channel. Have you seen most of those Disney teen shows? Those are terrifying. Touche. Touche. No, mostly it's like the superhero squad. He keeps waiting for his cameos on that. It's really, it's really creepy. <laughs> you just keep playing the ones of man thing. Go, is that you? Is that you? Is that you? <laughs> well, we'll not talk about him too much because he might pop back in. <laughs> that so, is wise. Yes. So anyway, what's up with you, Rick? Besides not too much. Not too much. Uh, just uh, I don't have to put up with a big house guest like that. I just have to every now and again go over to my co-host Jeff's house and you know hit it with a with a stick and say, "Wake up, wake up! Time to record! Time to record!" That that's all we got going on. We just have life as we know it, trying to move beyond the day to day realm and try to enjoy those pieces of the world that make us feel alive. Well, that's what you get for recording with a bear. Yeah, well, yeah. 
That's fair. Uh, a lot of people do call him a bear. Uh, he takes offense at that, mostly because the hair loss, he's a little sensitive about it. So Wait, you have a podcast co-host? Yes, I, I, I thought you were, I thought you were. I thought you just did that show by yourself. No, I'm really not that good with voices. <laughs> I, I really, I really like there's just the, that there's just the one of you on that on on unpacking the power of power pack. I'm pretty sure it's just the one guy. If there would okay, be one guy, okay. if there would be one guy, then I think that would be that be Jeff. But um, no, no, I I do have a wonderful co-host. He is fantastic. He is wonderful, and I highly recommend getting one. Uh, Tim, actually, you've gotten one recently. I mean, well, you've gotten two. You've gotten Mephisto, but you've also gotten another co-host, right? Uh, actually, it's time to get other way around. I the co-host got the host got me as a co-host. That's how the beauty of that worked out. It really sounds like that's your show. I really see that as your show, and he's well, your second banana. We got well. We got to go the other way first. That how that led in was that first I was a co-host on the Batgirl Cassandra Kane uh. podcast, and then we did a crisscross, just a little crisscross for Outcasters. And so I'm the host on that, and Asher's my co-host on that one. So, you know, we just, you know, throw them off of the train, crisscross, and we're all nice, good. Nice, 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 So really, it's just one of us that doesn't, hasn't seen the beauty of having a co-host. See, the beauty of having a co-host is that in one way or another, one person does nothing but sits there and, like, you know, spouts off. And the other person then says, I have to edit this down into something that makes sense. It's a beautiful relationship. Yeah. It is. I really feel bad for the person who has to do the editing. Yeah. Suckers. Suckers. Yeah. Well, I have co-hosts. I just have multiple ones. I have a pick. <laughs> <laughs> I get tired of one of them. It's like, all right, you're done. Next. <laughs> Rotate them out. They're hopefully not listening. <laughs> they probably will. They probably will listen. They probably will listen. Um, it's like, oh, he's probably talking about him. <laughs> I'm talking about the other guy. Don't worry. It's not you. The other guy. See, it used to be that we, in the before times, we would go out to comic book stores or bars or places where we could gather and talk about things we enjoy. Instead, we have now become bitter old men who sit in our basements and sit here and complain about the, the problems with, with podcasting and co-hosts and all that kind of stuff. Times have changed, man. Times have changed. We ain't the same people we used to be. Well, it's been a long century, 2020. It's been a long five years this month of October. <laughs> yeah. oh, I tell you about it. I can't remember what happened the first year of it. <laughs> anyway, so why, why are we here? Why we did are, Mephisto bring us this time? Well, Mephisto decided we need to experience the terror of Halloween because we, I think we are. <laughs> I what, think what else can he do to us? Seriously, what else can he do to us at this point? It does seem like that ship has sailed, doesn't it? Yeah. So, well, he's he doesn't really pay attention. He's oblivious to most things. Everyone knows that. So, we are here today with something that, well, is definitely not in the uh, format of any of our shows that we do. No. But I think it's pretty awesome still. We are talking about the Frankenstein Alive Alive. Well, I guess it ended up being a miniseries from IDW by Steve Niles and the amazing Bernie Wrightson. Mm -hmm. So this time we are going to be talking about issues one and two. And then that's it. And I guess if you're 
interested in three and four, you can go listen to Rick's Unpacking the Power of Power Pack special episodes. Should be out the same day as this for three and four, but you know, whatever. You can't just leave it at one and two. You got to come back for the ending. That's where all the good stuff is. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, it's not really much of an ending. Eh, We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Well, see, it's but, more like when I collected comic books back in the day, it's like I never got the first issue. I always missed it and always got the last issues. So, hey, if you're listening to this episode, hey, you're already ahead of me. I probably <laughs> haven't even heard this episode. No, he's on it. He still has no idea. <laughs> exactly. To be fair, I'm on it. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, I'm on it, and I just might have read this last night. I don't know. <laughs> Show off. Read the comic. Read the comic. I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. (laughs) I might have read one to three last night and four about eight o'clock tonight. (laughs) I I could be reading it right now. You guys don't know. You don't know what else is on my screen. (laughs) I really don't want to know what else is on your screen, Rick. You don't want to know what else is on my screen. I've I've known you just long enough to say. (laughs) NSFW. Away from that. Hang on, hang on a second. Got a pop-up coming up. Let me click that off. Okay, go ahead. Move on. Is that what they're <laughs> calling them now? <laughs> Don't order the pump. Edit, 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 edit. All right. <clears throat> All right. So, well, you know who wants to know what's going on? Probably people listening. So hold on, everybody. I'm going to drop in the synopsis for ep- issues one and two of this series and a promo. It might be for one of these guys. We'll see. Depends who's going to pay me the most. Come on, Daddy needs a new jacket. Frankenstein Alive, Alive, number one. The Frankenstein Monster. Writer, Steve Niles. Artist, Bernie Wrightson. Letters, Robbie Robbins. Editor, Denton J. Timpton. Cover art by Bernie Wrightson and Jose Villaruba. Variant covers by Bernie Wrightson and Jose Villaruba. Cover price, $3.99. Cover dated May... 2012, on sale date May 9th, 2012. You'll find this reprinted in Frankenstein Alive Alive Trio from 2018, Frankenstein Alive Alive, the complete collection from 2018, and digitally on Comixology. It starts at a carnival, possibly a few decades ago. The onlookers are promised the most frightening and infamous creature that ever lived, the Frankenstein Monster. However, their shock and horror quickly changes as he does not look like what they expect. He does not look like Boris Karloff at all. He doesn't even look awake. But that all changes when he is hit in the head with a tomato. His eyes snap open and he lunges at them with a And they scatter. And the monster smiles. It's just a living. With decent pay. He is accepted by the others in the carnival. Although they think Frankenstein is just a stage name. If only they knew. He thinks back over a hundred years ago. He was on an iceberg in the Arctic Sea, having a vision of his now-dead creator, Victor Frankenstein. The monster just wants to kill himself, to sleep forever beneath the frozen seas. But the vision of Victor tells him that it's too easy an end for him. He will never be forgiven. Ignoring him, the monster lays down and closes his eyes. He dreams of his origins, being created by Victor, but horrifying his creator so much that he fled, leaving the creature alone to wander and to be chased by frightened people, wondering all the time why he looks so different. He is eventually awakened when the ice now covering him starts to thaw. He has ended up somewhere near a volcano, an active one, so he marches towards it. 
Again, the vision of Victor Frankenstein appears to damn him for the evil he had done. As the volcano erupts, the monster tells Victor he will see him in hell and lets it wash over him. Jeff and Merck present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Costumes on. And we're back. All right, so starting off with issue one of Frankenstein Alive Alive. Like I said, Steve Niles and Bernie Wrightson. So, I mean, if people are going to do horror, that's the people to do it. Yeah, very much so. Mr. 30 Days of Night. <laughs> now, I'm going mm-hmm. to be honest with you guys. Um, okay. I was not very knowledgeable about these two individuals i i don't think i've got too much in my collection i don't think i got anything in my collection that uh from either of these individuals um but i do know some of their pedigree i do know that he is the co-creator on swamp thing um i do know that he has a very long history and i'm talking about bernie white writes and he's got a very long history in horror but i have never collected i've never looked at his stuff before until now and first impression is for me as being a very much of an outsider is, wow, this guy was amazing. He was an incredible, incredible talent. I picked up from Comixology, the one through four uh, trade that's on Comixology. And I spent some time just sitting there reading the forward that Steve Niles did about the creation of this book. So I went into it very much of a, oh, there's a story behind these four issues. Oh, okay. Which you know about that, right? We'll get to that in a second though, because- Let's talk about Bernie Wrightson for a second and do yeah. that part because I, for me, I'm reading it because I picked oh. up the issues as they came out. So I don't have that extra forward. I do have like in the first issue, there's that little conversation with them about horror movies and stuff, but I don't have that forward. So for me, for like Steve Niles, I, I did read 30 Days a Night back in the years ago. So I, and I read a few other things by him. And Wrightson, my introduction to Wrightson actually was I somehow ended up randomly with a copy of the uh, Spider-Man graphic novel, Hooky. Mm-hmm. Nice, and that yes. was my That was my first introduction to him. And if you've never read that, it's him doing like this kind of like Spider-Man fighting this giant monster thing. It's a pretty awesome story. Honestly, though, half the time Bernie Wrightson, it's like I'm not even paying attention half the time to what the story is. I'm just looking at the pictures. And for me, that's not that doesn't happen often. He's one of the few ones where I'm just like, I don't care what it is. I just want to look at these amazing things you're doing. I mean, from the freaky people, and I'm not even talking about the quote-unquote freak show. I'm talking about the normal people, to just the, the his layouts of like Frankenstein's laboratory, or that library he does later on. Mm-hmm. It's just mind blowing. I mean, I could spend like. Just a while, just staring at those double page spreads. But Tim, what about you for background with with Wright Center, Steve Niles? Yeah, the, that's one of those funny things that um, horror and uh, you know, suspense genre books in comics, especially, is really a big blind spot for me. I really just didn't get into it, and I still don't really 
I'm still not really that big on it. It's, you know, I can read them and then most of them are like, they're fine, you know, but it's just like, I'm just not into that, into the kind of stories that we're trying to tell there. So it's like, no, I've never read any Walking Dead and <laughs> any of those things. I just never, I just never got into it. But Wrightson, he's got enough of a pedigree on other things too, which is funny because I was just double checking what he had out there. Because it's like, I know I've seen things from him. I just don't remember what they are off the top of my head. But I go and check and it's like, this is fascinating. I think this for you, Al, I'm sure you're aware of this, is him doing the weird miniseries for Mm -hmm. DC with With Jim Jim Starlin. Starlin. Yeah. And And immediately, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I almost forgot about that one, but that's right. I had like one or two issues that when I was younger too, it's one of those like random comics you somehow just have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, have I mean, I got, I got into that because of the JLI connection, the yeah. Justice League International connection, obviously, because that's my, my big, my jam. Yeah. But the weird was a great series and I love the story and his artwork on it and his character design for our titular character, the weird himself is just, you know, just amazing. Um, and then shortly after that was when the uh, prestige format miniseries Batman the Cult came out. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, so he good. and Jim Starlin double teamed on that as well. So, oh, now see, that's not, you know, monster and creature sort of horror, but it's a big character piece and storytelling mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, that's amazing stuff. I had all those issues. I love that. And like you, I did have. Uh, I still have my copy of Hookie somewhere. I don't yeah. know where. I have no idea yes. where it is, but yeah, yeah. I love it's that just, book. It's a lush graphic novel and beautiful characters in it. And when the the various monster goes through its metamorphosis, it turns into dragon and yeah. just beetles and starts as a giant cockroach and becomes like the mm-hmm. turns into like you see like the things coming out of it as it like transforms. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's like like it had the character that spider-man teamed up with like called it a thunder cockroach from something like mythology from either norse mythology or something it's like it was a great great book i really did enjoy that one so that's mostly my my rights and things like i really can't recall anything that i've read that uh that that niles would have done and looking at his past credits like there's nothing really there that would have overlapped with things i'd done before but i do see that he did like a, a series for the creeper and i do have a, a soft spot for the creeper so that's probably one that i should be looking up so yeah, I, I that's intriguing and i almost forgot he did a series of miniseries for dark horse for a character he has called cal mcdonald um oh think, okay yeah hmm. think of like uh john constantine but less mm-hmm. functional that's hard to imagine. So he spent so, John himself's like, oh, he's a wreck. Yeah. He's not a magician. He just deals with like zombies and vampires and things like that too much. So most of the time he wakes up, he's usually some kind of substance that he needs to keep himself going. And his best, his Alfred, I guess you could call it is a uh, ghoul. Mm-hmm. Who's his best friend. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I, That's I, healthy. I had to take a little bit of a break away for a second because I had to, uh, I'm an instant gratification type person. I had to order Spider-Man a hookie. So good for you. I, I can that's, recommend that's that on, fully. That's, that's, that, that hard copy is on its way to my, me now. So I, I can recommend that fully. <laughs> yeah, that is a great Spider-Man story. You won't regret that. Mm-mm. Probably am not going to. I, I did not regret this book. I did not regret reading Mm-mm. this book. In fact, no, no, I, may, no. I may keep my eyes open and see if I can't find this in hardcover as well some point in time, or, or softcover. I, I would like to have the physical book of this because I spent a lot of time zooming in, 
zooming out on the pictures, they're mm-hmm. very, like you were saying, the, the scene in the laboratory, in the library, I was zooming in a lot. In fact, I walked over, showed my wife that. I said, just look at this artwork. Look at this. This is so detailed and so precise. And I know we'll get talking about it further on too, but it's just some of the, some of the close hand or close um, physical uh, drawings that he's doing of the of, of individual hands or backs, the muscles, the sinews, you can see it all very well. And it's just, it's incredible to look at that detail. So Rick, you said you read the uh, collection or the digital version of the collection and yeah. there's a forward by Niles. So says have a story about the, the series. So tell yeah. us a story. Yeah. Um, if you guys want, I, 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 it's, it's about four or five paragraphs. Give me a moment here. Uh, the int- This introduction has been very difficult for me to write. Bernie Wrightson and I were more than collaborators, more than I wrote the words, he drew the pictures. We shared a creative vision. We were also dear friends. When Bernie died last year, left a void in the hearts of so many people he touched throughout his art, that void was an abyss for those who loved him. The years we worked together were very special. Just about every Friday night, Bernie and Liz would come over for pizza, beer, and scrabble. We'd laugh and joke around, which always led to talking about stories. We created Dead, she said, the ghoul and Doc McCutt. And Doc Macabre that way. We'd laugh, talk, and then I'd sneak away and write up the ideas we discussed. For Frankenstein Alive, Alive, though, Bernie took the wheel. This was his baby. We would talk it through. I'd write some of the parts of it up, and then Bernie would go away and work the whole thing out. It was amazing to watch. It was like he just shifted gears and started turning out some of the most amazing comic pages I've ever seen. In the year leading up to Bernie's passing, it became increasingly difficult for him to work. Realizing he would not be able to complete his final chapter of Frankenstein Alive, Alive, Bernie worked out a contingency plan. He chose who he felt would be his ideal replacement, Kelly Jones. Replacement probably isn't the right word because no one could ever truly replace an artist like Bernie, but Kelly comes damn close. When IDW approached Kelly, there was no hesitation. He came on board and worked from Bernie's thumbnails and layouts to finish the book. As the pages started to come in, Liz and I were mesmerized at the skill and care Kelly put into them. It was bittersweet, but also in a way, a joyous moment. Bernie's final project would be complete, and in a way, he would have approved. I wish Bernie could have seen this book. I know he would have been happy flipping through his pages. It is a testament to Bernie's incredible love for Mary Shelley's immortal creature that he devoted so much of his remarkable career to celebrating it, much in the same way that all of us who knew and loved him will, for many years to come, celebrate the heart, passion, and talent of Bernie Wrightson. Rest well, my friend, Steve Niles. So coming in absolutely cold, not knowing who Bernie Wrightson was or anything else, I read this and just stopped. And like, I can't go any further with this book until I look up these two people and see what is going on. So for many years, apparently, even at the beginning of this book, Bernie Wrightson was uh, suffering from some uh, brain cancer. And as they worked on this book, it was becoming more and more difficult for him to write or difficult for him to draw. And, And then the last book, the last part of this book, uh, issue number four, was not completed by the time he passed away. And it was yeah. one of those, those thumbnails. It just is amazing to me that they were able to put this together and complete this from that ending. What could have been, what actually was in the works, what was the longer story that might have happened? What do you, I mean, you don't know. You really don't know. Yeah, and mean, some of the things that I might have faults with with this book kind of be come around because well they started with an idea and they just didn't quite get the chance to finish it yeah it wasn't Mm -hmm. supposed to be a mini series it was supposed to be an ongoing 
Mm-hmm. And based on what I'm reading, you know, rereading this, it kind of feels like he was kind of doing the uh, in the mode of '70s Marvel DC horror books of just kind of continuing on the story. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the beginning mm-hmm. framing yeah. sequence here, and then it's going to flashes back to Frankenstein's story. And mm-hmm. I think we were eventually going to get to here again, and then go on from here, probably. Yeah, but because we never got back yep, to there. Yep. That that that's one thing I have at the end of the of issue four is like. Um, we started off in a uh, circus tent. What happened? <laughs> and we probably got there 12, 13, 15. Mm-hmm. But, but let's, I think we should take a look at the first two because we'll get talking to this in, the, in three and four. But, but yeah, so the first one starts off in that circus. Looks like probably somewhere in the 40s or 50s maybe because I mean, there, yeah. it's, it's only like a dime to get in. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is classic. This is something classic you see back then too. I, or, or even in in TV shows or anything that uh, references the freak show or the side shows that they've gone on. You know this scene. This I mean, this is a played out kind of trope, and they use it very well. I think I like this opening bit. Yeah, I would say maybe even the early forties or late thirties. I think they're talking something about a depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it has, yeah. But mm-hmm. it has to be after mm-hmm. thirty-one because they compare him. Because, like you said, it's a freak show. And then, of course, they bring out the Frankenstein monster. And, of course, he does not look like Boris Karloff. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's somewhere in that, in, that, in that mindset right there. Probably pre-World War II, uh, post, you know, post-crash of, the, of Wall Street. Yeah, but it had, yeah, like I said, after I believe Frankenstein was 31. So it has to be after that. Somewhere between yeah. 31 and 40, probably. Because he looks a bit, he looks a bit like the Marvel's uh, Simon Garth the Zombie. If you guys yeah. are familiar with that mm. character at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A yeah, little it's, bit bigger. I, and for those that, ha- that I haven't seen this, I guess the best thing that we can say is we've got the height. He is a hulking, or not hulking, he is just very tall and thin. Um, he's got very long arms. Uh, he's got long hair that comes down past shoulder length hair, and it's very stringy and dry. The biggest pronounced feature, though, is that he doesn't have a nose. He's got, there's no cartilage there. So it's just, you've got like the, the absence of the nose, but there's kind of the, the, the end of the bone that's there. Yeah. Um, and then his, his main features are kind of sunken in and shallow. And all this is black and white too. Yeah. You can see around the mouth that it's, it's like that dryness around the mouth, but like a dead body, you know, you see for like a dead body, like a movie or something where it's like, it's pulled in. You can almost see like the imprint of the teeth underneath his uh, lips. Yeah. You, you're not getting the absolute strength. I was really wrong when I said hulking because there's no real strength that you see when he's just standing there. Um, he's just very tall, very thin, and he's scary looking, but there's not much that really jumps out as Frankenstein. No, because and like they say in the book and even like they talk about in the afterward of issue one, we think Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and credit to them for the fact that it's almost 100 years later, and even people who have not seen that movie but most like you know from what i can understand most people you say frankenstein they're thinking the boris karloff frankenstein from 1931 mm-hmm. the universal monster flathead green skin bolts on his neck and and i think we should also point out too that uh we are probably going to do this multiple times yes we understand the monster's name is not frankenstein he is the monster he doesn't necessarily have a name besides frankenstein's monster we are using it as a shorthand we understand, but it's just a nice, quick shorthand we're using for it. We might say the monster. We might say Frankenstein. We're talking about the monster. 
Yeah. Okay. And they, they do call him that specifically in the book. They even call him the Frankenstein monster. Yeah. And, and he makes a point in this first chapter because after, after the scene at the, uh, at the freak show where he, they, they go, we'll go through that, but he makes comment the fact that they call me Frankenstein. They call me Frank. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. he does, I, he's never had a name. He's willing to take that name. He doesn't care. But yeah, like you said, the people in the audience gets terrified at first and they see him and then they start reacting because it's not what they expect. And they start getting all pissy. Where's his bolts? What a jip. You know, where's the flat head? And they throw a tomato at him. Because I guess mm-hmm. you got fresh fret root fruits and vegetables back then whenever you went to a show. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's actually common. We're trying to bring that back nowadays. We just didn't get the message, and we don't get a lot of fresh fruit, especially here where I live in an anarchist jurisdiction. So we have to carry around cans. It, it's, uh, it's a thing. It's a okay. Thing. So you get to throw the cans. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 really better because you know if something happens, things stay fresh longer. You know, but. I digress. No, I um, think I think that they actually had a person out front of the tent who sold rotten <laughs> and old vegetables that you know were not fit for eating anymore. You know, for yeah. for super cheap. So it's like you're ready because you can see in that one panel. It's like they got a guy who's hiding one behind his hand. It's like, oh, yeah. he's ready. He's all set. And they go from this wonderful thing of of uh, Frank being almost serene with his eyes closed as he's out there just being a presence in front of this crowd. And when the first vegetable hits him in the head, his eyes snap open. Yeah. yeah. And then he comes to the next page with the big old lurching growl and hands up. And yeah, everybody bolts out of the room and he smiles at the end yeah, of the I page. Love that. I love this. I that love is this. Beautiful. I think that of everything of everything read over over the first two issues, I'll keep it with the first two issues. I think that this is one of my favorite pieces. Is just mm-hmm. this juxtaposition here of who he is as a character at this circus. There is a life that's lived before or behind him, and there's things that have brought him to this. He is wry. He understands his place somewhere. Like I said, he doesn't care if you call him Frank. He doesn't care if you call him Monster. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that they make fun of him. He understands the show business of it all. And there is a lot that's here. And the expression that he's got is just a testament to the artistry of what's happening. Mm-hmm. The, the, the author, the writer, he's got talent. But let me tell you, this story is all in the pictures. It all is. in the pictures. Oh, absolutely. And I do, I do like that one last, the, that last panel on that page with him just wiping it off his head with the smile with the, it's, and that's a perfect, just that works perfectly. The picture and the one caption, it's a life. Yeah. Like it says one before, it's a living. It's a life. It's a living. Yeah. So it's like, cause yeah, that's also the juxtaposition we're used to seeing of, we've seen the Frankenstein monster that gets enraged when someone assaults him or makes fun of him. And we've seen, you know, innumerable years of the Hulk. Maybe you've heard of him uh, who might be inspired by the Frankenstein monster, perhaps a little bit, a little bit. And for him to be like, yeah, I know this is part of the show. People are going to, some people are probably planted to do it. And sometimes people probably do it on their own. But it's like, it's just part of the show. And it's just incredible to, to give this much character to him. I, that was like, a, one, a breath of fresh air. And two, totally not expecting it. No. That's the best yeah. part is I was not expecting that in the slightest. So it was just wonderful. 
It's just a game. He's just play. He's just playing. Mm-hmm. Part. It's a role. He's in, he's acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they said tonight. It's like, hey, good crowd tonight, Frank. Heard you cleared the tent in record time. And I like his response. Mm-hmm. Mm, crowd good. Yeah, <laughs> he's like playing funny. into it. He is playing into it, and it's it's a bit of the the old t- it's a bit of the old movie freaks. You know, here's here's all the freaks together eating because that's what they do. They're a great crowd. He's got good companionship. Nobody looks at him twice because he just is like everybody here. They don't know the real secret behind him. This is all just a prelude into everything else that happens over not only the rest of this book, second book, third and fourth book, and presumably what would have happened future books, albeit. Yeah, because this then jumps back to him remembering. I'm presuming this is probably going to supposed to be shortly after the end of the novel. Yes, that was my guess on that. I mean, it's been a long, long time since I read that novel. Uh, at the end of the mm-hmm. novel, he uh, ends up kind of on an Arctic shelf somewhere. I, I, maybe Antarctica, I believe. But he's, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, there's a ship involved and he's running away and trying to freeze himself or kill himself in the cold of Antarctica. Well, I've never read the novel myself. But when I was a kid, we had, and this is staying so on brand for me, my parents got this whole set of little um, digest-sized illustrated books of of things like this. So we had an illustrated Dracula and an illustrated Frankenstein and a couple other illustrated books like that. And so it's like, that was actually as I could read it, a very faithful retelling. It might've even, I haven't looked and researched this enough to see if it was really like a digest version of maybe classics illustrated's version of it. I don't, Mm. I don't know, but in that version, they also used the Boris Karloff presentation of the monster, but he didn't, he didn't just grunt or growl. He actually used, you know, language and dialogue that the monster had in the book, in the mm-hmm. novel. So it's like, oh yeah, I have a perfect image in my head, thanks to that, of the final scene of him jumping off of the freighter as Victor Frankenstein lies dying nice. and and going washing off on an iceberg. It's like, so yeah, yeah. it's it's that's that definitely picks up so nicely from there. And speaking of that, now I don't know if this is in the collection then, maybe it wasn't, but at least the first three issues have at the end about five or six pages in each issue of the novel. Oh, no. Oh, nice. So it's like the first few chapters are in here. I mean, we don't get to the part Mm -hmm. of the monster. You know, we barely got, Mm -hmm. you barely get to the point of Victor Frankenstein talking about his childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get that. Right. But yeah, it is Arctic. I mean, it is Arctic, not Antarctic. So it's North Pole. Okay. That's nice. Nice. I know this because I was reading it last night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't get the I didn't get the same collection that Rick did. I actually got the collection of what they called the trio collection, which had just the first three issues, and then I bought the fourth issue separately. They okay. actually offered that as well. Um, and it's sad that you know with buying that is that huh, this didn't have the foreword that the four issue collection had, and it doesn't have these things extra at the end that the print edition had, but. I got to read the story, so okay. Yeah, well, it's the main I, point. Yeah, I, I, I'm not as cool as you guys, though. That's all it is. That's all that says right there. But we knew that before the show. <laughs> yeah, this is very interesting, though, the way that they set this up. Because, like we said, there's a section here which is 
Frankenstein trying to freeze himself or the monster trying to freeze himself in the Arctic. He's having a philosophical fight with the vision of Victor Frankenstein about what it is to live, what it is to die, and how can he kill himself, he should be destroyed, so forth and so on. And, and it all has to do with the fact that he, that Frankenstein has, or the monster has murdered. And so, you know, him killing himself, it's too good for him. That's it. Yeah. They have that little debate about it where they're, you know, what God, what, what does he have to do with God? Since, you know, you have nothing to do with God. You have no soul mm-hmm. and you're a murderer anyway. But then again, how much is that is Victor's fault? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is where it's very interesting because it goes from that, which we're in a flashback to another flashback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. He he dreams about his earliest memories. Mhm. Mhm. Of being just found by the, you know, created by Victor and found and hunted by villagers of course and trying to figure out why he looks different than everyone else in the world. What's wrong yeah. with him? Basically, we get the the story of Frankenstein in uh three and a half pages. Yeah. And then we jump back to this cuz he wakes up in the ice. Very Captain America-like. Exactly. I was waiting for the Avengers to come, and no, no. Yeah, so if, actually, if you if you squint, you can see that Bernie Wrightson did draw a, a shield in the ice right next. It's it's really it is it is by inches by inches. I mean, the casting of the Avengers would have been so different. You know, just. Well, I think what they wanted to do, I heard they wanted to get the Legion of Monsters in there. So they're trying to get the right, you know, they wanted to put Ghost Rider and Man-Thing and Damon Hellstorm and Werewolf by Night and Dracula. So, so... What about the Living Mummy? Do we have so room Janet, So oh, Janet, always. I got a, so Janet, I got a choice here. We, we, can, we can go with another Hulk or we can go with a leader. Which one do you think we could... I think we can go either way. <laughs> Seems a fair thing. That's Just flip a, a coin. You flip a coin right there. Flip a coin. Yeah. I want to see that what if now. What if Frankenstein joined the Avengers and had the cover instead for instead of, instead of Captain America. Marvel, call us, call us. TM, 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 TM. <clears throat> but, by the way, that first panel, though, of him, of the, when he comes out of the ice, so it's what page 14 it says here. Uh-huh. Like, you can see him through the ice, like one eye open. It's like he's squinting open, like, do I want to get up? <laughs> I don't um, know. too early. Yeah. I mean, it just, it looks different than the other ones. Like he made it different because you're looking at him through the ice. Yeah. Yes. That is just. I mean, the level of craftsmanship that he's got in this, in this art is amazing. Just amazing. Um, spectacular. I really, on my first read through of this, I was expecting, because I didn't know where the story was going. I didn't know what to expect at all. I really thought that he was going to wake up and he was then going to, okay, so this is how I ended up in this, in this circus. And then there was going to be adventures going on from there. (laughs) I didn't know that we were just going to be hanging out in, in this land of, of a flashback but we go from the ice to the heat because he's like, well, that didn't kill me. Uh, So what's next for old, old monster boy. Um, He sees Mount doom. And he decides to walk through Mordor. Uh, he doesn't have a ring to throw in, but he's hoping to throw himself into Mount Doom. Um, and, but he think, comes to talk to him still. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I mean, it could be Samwise, but no, he doesn't get his best friend. He gets his mortal enemy. I mean, he gets Sauron there. Actually, or Gollum. Or Gollum. Yeah, he gets a more uh, okay, loquacious Gollum. 
Is yes, Victor Von? Du- wow, sorry. Uh, is, <laughs> is Victor is Victor Frankenstein more like Gollum, Sauron, or uh, what is he more akin to? He is more like he's more like Saruman. Ah, I I don't know. I, I I would see Sauron more because. I know. No, maybe you're right. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we can get to a, a perfect analogy. That's there is no perfect analogy, but it's, it's the closest I can no. think of because he's yeah. he at least has a philosophical debate with him, which yes. Gollum's not capable mm-hmm. of. No. And to be fair, and we have Sar- no idea what Sauron can, is capable of because we don't. Sauron's Sar- not got a physical debate. Me want, mm-hmm. me take. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's Sauron. Yeah. I was only throwing out Gollum offhand, just off the cuff, because of course it's funny. And well, yeah. that's my first thought <laughs> too. We go with humor. S- Exactly. And second, because he actually is like the bad Jiminy Cricket on <laughs> the monster's shoulder, which is what I would also a a- attribute, better, to, uh, attribute to Gollum. It's like, he's just like, what? give the presses, give it away. It's like, he's just all just pushing them towards bad choices. So yeah. it's like, but anyway, yeah, he's he's it's uh, it's just fun. It's a fun parallel. And by the way, it's just besides who they are in Lord of the Rings or Disney. Again, this image of him just just rocks. It's just a, it's just a picture of basically Frankenstein standing there, looking over a valley of rocks, walking towards a mountain, and it's amazing looking. Yeah, yeah, the detail and just vision of it. It's like, you, you just don't know. Did he get a photograph that inspired this or did he really just come up on it completely on his own or stitch a few scenes together? No idea, but it's just glorious how all of it kind of, it has different texture and different shadows from natural light going on. And it's not, and it continues. It's just, and just see, and really it's just a, it's just an outdoor scene. It's like, yeah, this is not what you think of a right you do not think of <laughs> landscapes as being rights and thing. Yeah, and like and you have three pages of them. And it's like, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's not just a landscape. It's not just like he makes realistic looking rocks and everything, which he does. Mm-hmm. But the way he does the shadows and everything and the smoke coming up, it's very dark feeling too. It's very macabre. Yeah. It's very Halloween feeling. Or like you would expect if you're walking there, you're looking for like, okay, when is Cthulhu coming out? Or mm-hmm. when is Dracula coming here? Because this is not a happy <laughs> hiking place. No. This is a place mm-hmm. of evil and darkness. And this is, you know, this is not good and happy times. This is dismal. It's also a being who is trying to destroy himself. And he's having a, he's having a philosophical conversation with his god, small g, mm-hmm. to justify what he's doing and trying to get permission get allowances to to end his life and he's not getting permission not from any moral reason of this is wrong to do but just almost like a a punishment yeah it's like no no no, i want you you need you deserve to suffer yeah and the monster is saying why should i suffer for something that i didn't know i was doing that was wrong you're telling me that what i did was wrong based upon everything that you built me for and everything that your morality that you're putting on me. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you signed me up for it. Or did you give it to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just assume, you know, you just let me go out in there and do things and got pissy when I 
didn't do it. You didn't train. You didn't train him, and then you got pissy because he didn't get trained because he wasn't trained. Yeah. But this all leads to him saying, oh, "Well, see you in hell, buys," and uh, allowing the lava to come in and take him. And he crosses his arms. Trust fall. Think, you know, trust fall backwards into lava. Worst trust fall ever. Yeah. Um, and and that's how we've got the issue ending with him in a cooling field of lava with this spirit of Victor von Frankenstein hanging over him. And it's just this pool of bubbling hot molten mud. It's kind of like most of my conversations with Tim Price. Pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, no, there's not, there's not enough gas for what there's not, there's less gas here than in the conversations. <laughs> Let's say. Yeah. And real quick then. So this issue this is the end of the first issue, but there is a little, mm-hmm. If in case you guys didn't have it, there is a little uh, conversation between the two of them talking about their first instances learning about Frankenstein, which for Bernie especially was going to see, see in the movie and then talking about watching some of these old movies on the creature features mm. on, on, on TV nice. on, like, on Friday nights or Saturday nights late at night watching, as Bernie Wrightson says, it was 56 and Universal just released its monster movies to TV. Shock Theater on Friday night at 11.15 p.m. Your host, Dr. Lucifer. And the first movie they played was the original Frankenstein. And so they talk a bit about that and watching also the Hammer films and some stuff like that. It's said to be continued, but it never was. <laughs> uh-huh. Unfortunately, they never finished off that conversation. And then, like I said before, though, there's about five pages, the five first pages of the actual Frankenstein novel here, which makes sense, I guess, because it's public domain. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm, that's another reason why I was always assuming that this was supposed to go on further, even if you didn't read, know about Bernie Wrightson, because, you know, you have to assume the plan would have been to keep putting a few pages in each issue until they finished the novel. So I guess they were planning really long, for, hoping for really long form to get this to go 20, 30, 40 issues. If they're going to do, if they're going to do every single page of the, of the novel, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's like five or six pages in like each issue, like the first three issues, you know, five or six in each mm-hmm. one. And so that was issue one and on to issue two. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past or a purpose or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. (laughs) Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are The Outcasters, because to live outside the law, you must be honest. Cereal is coming your way. How about a monster for breakfast today? Look at what a hanky 
thanks. And how about some wonderful Frankenberry cereal with oodles and oodles of strawberry-flavored marshmallows. And Frankenberry is part of this good, nutritious breakfast. Here comes Cal Chocula. Wish you could stay. How about a monster for breakfast today? When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Well, hey, I was looking at these old comics, and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married, we change our names, we combine our comic collections, we start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. <laughs> she goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. Um, and then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> yeah. in yep. A brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. <laughs> a brainwave camera. Uh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast, where two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marywcomics.libsyn.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. Frankenstein Alive Alive number two. Writer, Steve Niles. Artist, Bernie Wrightson. Letters, Robbie Robbins. Editor, Denton J. Tipton. Cover art by Bernie Wrightson. Variant cover by Bernie Wrightson. Cover price, $3.99. Cover dated November 2012. On sale date, November 21st, 2012. This can be found reprinted in Frankenstein Alive Alive Trio from 2018. Frankenstein Alive Alive the complete collection from 2018, and digitally on Comixology. What appears to be a large statue is dug up, somewhere in the frozen north. The leader of the expedition, Dr. Ingalls, has the statue brought back to his home, 
where he promptly allows it to fall, smashing to pieces. The upside is, it wasn't a statue. It was hardened molten mud containing the monster, who was very much alive. At first, Dr. Ingalls thought the monster was a magical creature that had been trapped inside the statue, but Frank was soon able to tell him of his origins. Once Frank was strong enough again, Dr. Ingalls showed him his collection of the obscure and bizarre, and then he showed him his library. It was a large room, stacked with books. Frank was enthralled. He stayed at Dr. Ingalls' home, spending his time reading anything he could, and whatever he was unable to understand, the doctor was able to tutor him. The only place that Frank felt uneasy was in the doctor's laboratory, which made him feel too much like he was back in Victor Frankenstein's lab. However, for as long as he was staying there, Dr. Ingalls was the only person he saw. He never met the doctor's wife, Dolly. She was suffering from the early stages of consumption. The doctor had been treating her himself, but he had only been able to slow the progress of her disease a bit. Until one day, when she came into the library looking for her husband and saw the two of them, she fainted in terror. While Dr. Ingalls assured Frank that it was not his fault, it did not help. All this time with the doctor, and Frank had been able to forget what he was, but her terror had brought it all back to him. He was a travesty of humanity, a mockery of God and all creation, a monster. By the way, the covers for all these, I don't know if you got, um, yeah. have you seen the covers? Yeah. I love these things. Mm-hmm. It's just all black. With They're the cameos. N- They're yeah. cameos. Like just a, a, an oval circle with a black, and then you've got the, the, the image of the monster. Yeah, and it's different, a different forms of himself, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it's like a kind of a reflective gold for the uh, title and also that cameo, the outline of the cameo. It looks like it could be, you know, you would technically call it a cover gimmick, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. makes the book stand out. Yeah. And I love these things. Don't care. Like I said, I, want to, I do want to pick up a physical copy of this because it's that good. So we start, so we're on to issue two now. And like I said before, issue two starts with the scientists digging up something there in Iceland or wherever they are, somewhere up there, and finding this, well, all we know is a giant thing with its arms crossed. Hmm. Oh, we know what mm. it is. Baked it, it's, it's, yeah. it's like baked in the mud, so it almost looks like a golem. Mm-hmm. They they really think that this is a statue. That's that's, that's, that's a better what word it comes, to put it. Yeah, that's what it comes right. across as as, as a statue. It, it's the first attempt that they had at making a giant Oscar mold for the Kodak Theater, and it really failed. It, it just they did not get the facial features right, and it just came out looking kind of ugly. It didn't really misformed, but otherwise, it, it is the Oscar statue minus the sword. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. So tell me Oscar. I'm wrong. <laughs> Not now. I'm a little creeped out. (laughs) (laughs) So it takes uh, these explorers about three months to deliver this to a place. Reading the the parts of the novel and then also like this part kind of makes you remember like, wow, everything took forever back then. Yeah. To do anything. Right. It's like, I'm going to go to the store. So I have a week. I'll be back on Saturday. (laughs) I'm going to get milk and bread. Hopefully I won't die of dysentery on the way. And that just happens on the Oregon Trail, man. Well, that happens still does, there. actually, no. yeah. <laughs> happened to me about well, a couple that... dozen times. <laughs> uh, and then by contrast, you know, we're reading comic books where it's like, you know, the character will go from New York to, you know, I don't know, Australia in a panel. Yeah. And it's like, it, no, it's still part of the same story. They don't, you don't even have, there's like no passage of time. It's no. like just boop. So. <laughs> well, forget that. How about 
For a contrast, where it takes them three months to get home, for instance, here, and meanwhile, we're talking early on, and Rick's like, ooh, hooky, that sounds good. Okay, I've, it's coming to my house now. I'm done. I ordered it in like 10 seconds. It'll probably arrive on his store, on his, on his front step before we're done recording. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I got something in the mail today, and I was like, what's this? Oh, it's Bitterroot. Didn't I order that just a day ago? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I know. I ordered something. I have to wait till the 14th. I'm like, what? what? I ordered it like early this week. And it won't be madness. Well, it's a t-shirt. It has to be printed. Oh, I see. It's my see, un- shirt. See, unlike unlike <laughs> this, you know, uh, this guy said, I want a creepy statue. The guy who owns this house, he said, I want a creepy statue for my house. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put this on, do my order through pre-Amazon. And they're like, uh, this will be delivered in three to 10 months. Good. Good for me. Good to yeah. go. And then he gets his statue, his creepy statue, and they all haul it in. And... Now, I need to ask you guys, uh, first okay. time reading this, hmm. when you saw this house the first time, and as the story progressed, at what point in time did you realize that there was more than one person and the monster living in this house? When I realized it <laughs> when we saw that there were people at all, which was basically when they all were leaving. Okay. Well, actually, not just actually, me. Well, not just no, me. No, not just you. No. No. Uh, I think actually the, the, the really the, the, the first... Are, additional person was introducing the uh the gentleman's wife. wife yes that was it yeah so no it's not just you okay. there's like no hint that anybody else is because, in this mansion yeah this is a, a giant house. house this is a giant house but really oh, yeah. i was just thinking that this was an eccentric old collector who owned this entire house and he lived here by himself which now i think that was silly of me but yeah yeah I'm thinking based on some stuff we're going to get in the next two issues that I don't know how much of the friend he was being and how much he was observing to try and learn about the monster to figure out how he can use it himself. Oh, yeah, And yeah, so yeah. how much was mm-hmm. he keeping the monster isolated because he didn't want anyone else to ruining his experiment. Yeah. And that, and that's what we've got. That's that's definitely what we've got going on here. Uh, this is the guy we're talking about is Doctor Inglis. Inglis, did I get that right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, and um, I've said that wrong, but he in uh, checking this monster out, of course, because he's old and feeble, and he's and we need to move the story along. He drops this crash, and he breaks the statue, and out comes the hairless Frankenstein's monster. Well, makes sense. He got. You know, his hair and clothes got all burned off. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once again, we do get some fab- fabulous art just looking at the muscles and just some of the body horror of the Frankenstein monster that's in oh, here. Like when he's climbing out and you see from the back and you could see his spine, it's almost out of his skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bad scoliosis is going on right there. We get this fabulous scene here and this leads into the entire story of the doctor bringing him back to health not being scared of him per se, being very interested about him. He wants to learn about him. Uh, the monster's very like, no, I really don't want to talk about my past, but you want to teach me stuff, great. And they start a friendship and the doctor starts teaching him. I am putting all that stuff in a bubble because that's all nice and good. There's stuff we want to talk about, but before we talk about anything else, we have to talk about this art because, oh my God. I'm assuming <laughs> you're at the, uh, the guy's laboratory or whatever it is. Yes, yes. Well, yes. You get a hint of that both the artwork wise and also that maybe this is why the guy isn't freaked out by him. 
right before he drops the you know, statue falls, you get a little bit of his laboratory. Yeah, a I mean, little bit. Looking at that, you can tell this guy is into some weird stuff. It's not just, he doesn't have just some butterflies up or, you know, a couple diagrams of the, I never know how to pronounce that, Vitruvia Man. Yeah. Oh. You know, mm-hmm. Or medical books or anything. I mean, he has. Or like posters of comic book characters on the walls or anything like that. It's like nothing really creepy like that. <laughs> For one thing, he has a mermaid skeleton. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right yeah. Right to the left of where the statue is. And it almost looks like a monkey with a. With a tail, not a mermaid. You know, not a human. Yeah, that's, that's, like a a, that's a that's a mer- that's a yeah mermaid. There, you've got various skulls. You've got lizards with fins. I mean, you've got some fantastic stuff. Very intricate little art, and yeah, that's all nice. That's all really nice. But just give you a two hint. More, two more pages ahead, then and we get the money shot. Oh my god! I mean, this is a two-page spread of this guy's lab, and it is Brightson just filled it. With yes. all these things, all these bizarre, twisted, probably some of them are fakes, you know, put together, either by him or maybe somebody who tricked him into buying it. Giant alligator hanging from the ceiling, uh, crosses, uh, conquistador the, swords. The two-headed, whatever that is, over the crocodile or alligator. I can never tell the difference. You've got bottles. You've got heads you've got bones many many bones you've got snakes in vials you've got just anything and everything busts of of ancient romans uh people inside coffins i mean it is full of things and there are a few different places in these books that that it just screams out like this right but it fully went to town on this oh my god yeah there's the yeah, mummy mm-hmm. there's a mummy right there hey there's the living mummy there yeah, you go there you go so well, yeah. like we started with we started with the circus freak show, and here we've gone to this is another freak show. Yeah, right here. It's just this one this this room and thus this mansion is just a different kind of exploration and fascination yeah. with here's the, things that aren't natural. This yeah. guy isn't a ma- I was gonna say mad scientist, but he's not really a mad scientist because you know you say mad scientist and we're thinking diodes and electrical electrical energy going above and all kinds of chemicals this is kind of the mad explorer in the vein of like a lovecraft story yeah Mm -hmm. he's he's eccentric he's a collector he's a philosopher he's an intellectual he he's a lot of things he's got money and time (sighs) and space to collect this stuff and to study this stuff this is a hobby. This is a passion. This is all of the above. And that goes into the next page, which is another beautiful page. And this is the library that's full of these tombs of knowledge and the books are stacked on top of each other and they're falling over against each other. And it's just full, full, full. There's, it is a huge you know, shelves everywhere. It is I mean, Powell's books. I mean, it's just packed, but this is, this is it. He's like, Hey, look, I'm a scientist. I'm somebody who studies this stuff. I am a knowledgeable person. You want to learn. You've never been given an opportunity to learn. Guess what, monster? I will teach you. I will give you the knowledge you so crave. And the monster says, yes, yes, I want. I do like that one line. (laughs) Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, yes, yes, I want because I want to live. Yeah. But I like the, uh, his line. I, I never even dreamed that this many books existed. I barely heard him. I was already moving in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and 
nobody is nobody's picking on him nobody's hunting him nobody's hurting him he's given a chance to read to learn and to have discussions with somebody and and to teach him and this is once again where i'm like so this is just a a, a retired intellectual right who lives by himself right yeah this is where we get it from. He is by himself, just him and this guy in this house. This guy gives him all of his time because he has nothing well, else in his life. Being a distrustful sort, says as I am, when you see a character like this, you kind of go, how much are we really being told about him? Sure. You know, this one, a person who has this much of an obsession, is it solely for the obsession itself or is there something that he's using this information for? And we nothing's been told. We haven't been mm-hmm. seeing anything. We're seeing this from Frank's point of view, which yeah. is perfect because that's yeah. what we need to be. We need to be seeing this unveil. And from and from everything he's learned and seen, this is what he knows. Yeah. And also, Frank's playing it kind of close to the vest himself. He's yeah. not, as we said, he's not giving away too much of his own origins and everything. But I, you know, the other thing when I look at this uh, library is that okay, I see Lumiere up in front, but I haven't seen Cogsworth yet, and I'm trying to look at this see if I can spot him anywhere. That's okay. Uh, uh, um, uh, right behind Frank, there is the lantern that Tinkerbell used to live in. But you know, oh, we're there we go. On. We're moving on. We're moving there on. Um, Clap three get, times. Clap three we, times. Yeah, we get more of the teaching, and and again, we have a beautiful, beautiful picture. We've got the laboratory where you have, you know, the the glass tubes and the circular things and they got the, the the bottles here and the liquid here and it's just this is what you have in your head when you're a ten, nine ten years old and they you hear the word chemistry set yes and you're like oh i'm mm-hmm. gonna do this and then you're like what i got like eight test tubes and a, a few random crappy slides like this is it is it where's hey, the big hey, things hey. to make monsters don't knock those chemistry sets. Peter Parker made web fluid from those chemistry sets. He didn't have you know this what? thing. You know well, what? Imagine what Peter Parker would have done if he you had this. Marvel Comics mm-hmm. lied to me. I put all those combinations of things together. I never got I never got any web fluid. I never got superpowers. I never got my own Frankenstein monster. I'll tell you what I did get. I got a big old slap to the behind for the mess I left in my basement. <laughs> That's what I got. You know what I also comic I, books lied to me. <laughs> I did learn one thing from all those chemical all that stuff. Well, you can't make web fluid. I did learn what happened with all those things if you lit them on fire. They burned. Fire bad. <laughs> Fire! Bad! Ever since I was 11, until I moved, that one desk I had had this one burn mark on it. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lordy. So, yeah. uh, yeah. I want to chime in that, yes, I mean, obviously, this is this chemical chemistry um, is just glorious artwork. And just, I, I can't, I just can't even fathom how his mind of, of writes and put all this together and made it look so organic and just flowing in this page. You can, oh, you can the, imagine the moving. Scenes. You can imagine these scenes. Mm-hmm. That's a talent right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But being able to transfer what's in your mind through to the pen. That's the art. That's the art right there. The best part of that, by the way, is Frank's look on Frank's page face on that. Page yes. Of terror. Yes. So for the first time, he is scared. Yeah. That's he wasn't the one scared of the ice. Him. Yeah. He wasn't scared of the ice. He wasn't scared of the mm-hmm. volcano. 
he was scared of this because it, it makes him feel like he's back in Victor Frankenstein's lab. Yeah, well, uh, and to be it, fair, he wanted to die. Yeah. So that's why he wasn't afraid of those things. Here he's like, he's not necessarily ready to live. This isn't, this isn't him being afraid of dying. This is him being afraid of being turned into a thing again yeah. and losing what's left of his sense of self. Yeah. He wants to learn. He wants to keep on growing where he's at. And this is, and so he, he says, this is what scares me. I'm not going to go in here. We go back to the room he loves and that is the library. And then we have the weirdest part about this book. That's a third person <laughs> in this house. What the heck? When did that happen? Yeah. yeah. When did this guy get married? Years ago. <laughs> Apparently it's been a while ago. <laughs> but although, you know, here we have it at the bottom of this page. Hello, Dolly. <clears throat> Hello, That's her baby. name. Yeah. That's her name, Dolly. That's right. And she apparently has consumption. Yes. Which is what? Tuberculosis, right? Yeah. No, in my mind, consumption mm. is, uh, that is the old time you talk for somebody's not well and we don't know what it is. But yes, most of the times they chalked it up to uh, tuberculosis, TB. Yeah. Uh, but she comes in, right. sees the monster and says, great God, Simon, what is that? That thing. Yeah. She pulls the Aunt May when she sees Spider-Man thing. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bravo, sir, bravo! And she faints. Excellent. And for the first time since, for how long he's been there, he's now back to where he was emotionally. Yeah, he caused her to faint. But the, the interesting thing is that the old guy is like, "Hey, no, ain't your fault. My fault. My bad. Should have let my wife know. Should let you know there's somebody else in the house too." But you know. should let my wife know I had a monster here. I keep forgetting that, you know. For it slips six, the mind. Six, 12 months. Yeah. It's like, you know, he was not there for just a couple of days before I mean, she saw him. I mean, what is it, it about like, that? What wow. is it about that? I mean, it's like he disappears into this room and, and spends all the time by himself talking to somebody that his wife never sees. Who does that? <laughs> I have no Hang idea. Hang on. Hang on. I... I'm feeling this is might be ironic, but nah, just my nah, question. nah. I don't know what's talking about. Don't look too deep into it. Don't look too deep. So uh, yeah, he's a monster. Dun dun dun. And this brings us to the end of ep- issue number two. Yeah, issue two, where it ends with I like that. In Dolly's horror-stricken eyes, I saw the true reflection of who and what I really am—a travesty of humanity, a mockery of God and all creation, a monster. Yeah, you know what? I've decided that. Uh, that will be the way I leave every room from now on. I want to just say that statement as I leave every room. In your horror-stricken eyes, I see that the true reflection of who and what I really am, a travesty of humanity, a mockery of God and all creation, I am a monster. Bye. And I'm going to leave the room. We all think it already. So, you know, you're halfway there. Putting and, it out there. And your mother's going to look around going, what the hell is wrong with that boy? I swear, he used to be such oh, a good my, boy. My, my, my mom is, <laughs> that ship has sailed with my mom in a long he time ago. A, he used to be such a smart boy. Do you know when he started to go potty by himself? Do you all know? <laughs> that was last week, Al. That was last week. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> we are just about done with the episode, but before we get to the close, let's cover our feedback. And this time we are talking about feedback from episode 120, in which we covered issue two of the Infinity Entity, Overload. And on Facebook, the post by that episode was liked and shared by Joe Sedano, Michael Lane, 
Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Gene Hendricks, Bill Bear, and Hal Jordan. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Jason Snick Venable, Connor McKenna, David Finn, Fiat Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Adeline Rising Podcast, Into the Night, Capes and Lunatics, Brian Z Probably Disagrees with You, Cable Says Vote, We Are Venomaniacs Podcast, Alexis Hania, and Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. Now don't forget, if you'd like to hear your name said on here, that's very easy. Just like and share our posts about the new episodes on our social media pages. On Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box, we'll pop up. We are on Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. On Twitter, we are at AdamThanosPod. Or you can send in an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. These are not the only places you can find me. Uh, besides here, you of course can find me on the L-E-G-I-O-N P-O-D-Cast. That is a side podcast on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. It is about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series, Legion. That's the one with the acronym. That also features Lobo. That's probably the way people know that best. Since the last episode of this show only came out a week ago, there's only been one new episode of the LEG cast, which is episode 23. And also, I have another show now that I'm doing. You can find that on the feed of Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. It's called Learn Me the Legion. It's me and host Christian uh, delving into the world, the Legion of Superheroes. Well, I'm very well into that world, but he is just dipping his toes in. So we're learning him, hopefully. So far, only episode one is out, and you can find links for both these shows on the show notes. Also, don't forget, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is a group of podcasters who have uh, got together to network in the most traditional sense. We're just there to help each other out, support each other, bounce ideas, share each other's shows, things like that. But if you go to the link for The Collective, you can find a list of all the other shows that are part of it. The world's strongest hero. The warrior from a hidden island. The master of super speed. The wielder of the weapon from beyond the stars. The champion of the seven seas. They are the only ones standing before a world beyond the brink of collapse. Their mission, abolish war and crime, eliminate poverty and hunger, clean the environment, cure disease, even stop death itself. They promise within a year to make the world a utopia, no matter how many lines they might need to cross. Coming soon to the Pulp to Pixel Network, the Squadron Supreme Cast, an exploration of Mark Gruenwald's epic 1985 Squadron Supreme miniseries, a look at the heroes, the villains, the fine lines separating them, and how this miniseries continues to play an influence in mainstream superhero comics. If you want to hear what happened in issues three and four of Frankenstein Alive Alive, go check out the episode of Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack that came out, well, today, October 31st, 2020, and you'll hear the three of us talking about issues three and four. And don't forget the other two shows that are part of our crossover this Halloween. There is the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast and Mary with Comics. Links for all three shows will be in the show notes. The first two issues... Are, sta- are, are amazing. They really are. Um, there's, a, there's a few things that I question. I mean, at this point in time, I'm like, okay, there's the guy's wife in the house. Fine. I really think that these first two issues are very, very strong. I think that they're really, really good, and they really set the stage for what this book is. The art is amazing, and it just... In my mind, I, 
going into this book and reading that forward, I was like, okay, this is what I've, I'm going to be expecting. In my mind, I'm already thinking there's going to be a sharp drop off in the fourth book. You know, maybe it's going to slide in okay, but I, I was I'm expecting a sharp drop off because things have changed. But the first two issues are just solid, and it kind of I was just worried about what's going to be coming next. No, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. But we will see what happens when we get there. But uh, Tim, what are you, your thoughts on the first two issues? Final thoughts on these two? The artwork is just so lush. You know, you just can, you just sit there and absorb it all the way. But, and I just really have to give, have to give props for, to, uh, to, to Steve Niles for the, um, the work that he's done on building the character of Frankenstein here, making him, getting inside his head because they don't come right out and demonstrate it. There's like almost no word balloons in this book. There's no dialogue, but there's a lot of narration from Frank's point of view. Yeah. This really lets us explore who he is and what he's feeling. And it's really lets us sympathize with him. What is he going through? What is he, what is he experiencing? Think about that, but you're right. It's really, it's more almost like they're doing an illustrated novel, you know, a novel that has mm-hmm. illustrations on like every other page than a comic almost. Yeah, exactly. And that's with it being all or mostly or almost all splash pages, either single page or double page, that really works with it as like these are just, you know, artistic set pieces, but we're still getting into Frank's uh, head and having him tell his story, what he's going through and what he's seeing. I'm going to tell you guys that I, one thing I don't like about this book is the word balloons. I dislike them, especially in the first two issues. I think that they feel very clunky and out of place. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the letterer did the greatest job in the world with putting those word balloons in there. Every time they're there, they take away from the artwork that's been done. And it just makes me sad. I, I don't know what mm. the solution is on it, but I just yeah. I wish that they were much more, much less noticeable the only way to get rid of them is the problem is doing the captions you would have to have somebody else doing it or else you'd have to have frankenstein say as was told to me later because it's all it's his story so this is like the few so those are the few parts i i just kind of works in that way the fact that it's a few parts that's not his story i just if they're going to be there they need a different style this, I, I can't this, argue that this this mm-hmm. style that they have of just it's a plop down word balloon on top of it. It's almost I want that uh, more of they just write the word balloons over the top of the scenery, and we see through the word balloons. I think that would have been better. I don't not, know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure how I feel about that either. I, it is one of the things where Frank's narration is yeah. very much stylized, and they give it the text boxes themselves this grayish color and this kind of and it, and it fits rippled it fits. border well yeah. and that but that fits also for his character yes so it's very much part of his character and so everybody else who talks overly much because we have almost we have like maybe like once or twice yeah so far that frank himself talks which i also got like we didn't really get into it but i think like it's not easy for him to talk so no. he doesn't but his they, brain they is still his, going they, they do his word balloons a little differently and i and those ones are mm-hmm. better it's just everybody else's speech mm-hmm. is just, uh, Well, yeah. and almost like it, 
is it out of place because it's supposed to feel out of place? Maybe. It's supposed to, because it's supposed to be just that doing more or less traditional standard war balloons just on their own, just stand out as like something's happening or it's like, this is, um, we're now getting out of Frank's story. I I don't know if there's really a good answer. I understand completely what you're talking about, Um, especially on the more lush illustrated pages that have a Mm -hmm. lot of things going on. Um, that it is a it is a disruption to it. It's like uh, there, I don't think there's really a good answer for it, but they're also equally effective in when there's something uh, dramatic happening. Mm-hmm. It almost would have been better if at least in the last two pages, when you have her wear balloons, because the doctor tells him not to worry about it, but you don't see the wear balloons from the doctor. It's Frank. No. It's Frank's narration. Mm-hmm. I always would prefer it if they got rid of her wear balloons and made that part of the narration and just kept the wear balloons in the beginning when it's not him, yeah. when he is not there and it's not part of him. Almost like showing like, this is not the Frank. This is not, this is just about how he got there, but it has nothing to do with Frankenstein. All right. Now we're back to the monster. That would be something else. Interesting too is, because uh, for the re- most part they do that. Mostly. I recently, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, they mostly do that for the most part. It's just that little bit at the end kind of breaks it up. I just thought about this. I recently rewatched Chinatown, and one of the fascinating parts about that movie is the entire movie is through Jake, Jack Nicholson's character. It's from his perspective. If he is not, a, he is in every single scene of that movie where he gets knocked out, the screen goes black because he's not there, we're not there. That's it. I, um, I almost would have liked to have that beginning scene where he's found. We don't see that. We instead come back in the story when that, uh, when his statue crashes to the floor and he comes up and then he is told about what has happened because then it goes back in more into, he only knows what he knows. And we as a reader only see what he sees. So the first page would have been like page five or six. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Cause at first I was like, I like your idea, but like, I don't mm-hmm. want to miss that. I love that first page and I don't want that. Oh, I, do too. I do too. I do but too. You're just kind of like flipping the pages around, yeah, flipping the pages around and having the doctor explain to me that I was found here. Goes, goes more into that idea of he's, we are seeing everything he sees. I think that would have been an interesting change mm. in the story. Mm. Not bad. No, I'm just rewriting it. Right. Yeah, you are. Oh. <laughs> The only thing I miss about that is the outdoor shot of the mansion because he never goes outside. So we don't really get to see what this looks like. And while a a creepy sort of like claustrophobic feeling that might give us Uh as the reader, I don't really, I really like seeing this because we get a scope of the fact like how big is this place that he's staying in? I like that too. Without seeing that. I like that too. But I think I also like my idea too, where it's like, he has no clue what it looks like outside because he's never been out there. He doesn't know where he's at. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. It it would be great. great. The first, the first time he leaves the place, he's in the middle of New York city. It's been a soundstage the entire time. No, we're back to captain America. (laughs) <laughs> but I'd be so sad about seeing this outside scene. I, I love looking at Al's face as Al finally just caught on. He's like, how did we end up here? Oh, I got it. Well, actually, my, mm-hmm. it's sad when you went to that and said, no, it's a soundstage. I'm like, what, is this the Truman Show? That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> if I don't see you later, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. <clears throat> but I, I think the reason we have to nitpick of this is there's really not much to complain about here. I mean, no. No, this no. is just beautiful and gorgeous. And you're just like, okay, suck me in and I'm following along. 
That was a very interesting sentence you said there. I'm glad you ended it that way. So am I, I think. Maybe. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Oh, good. Neither was I. I, so I brought the awkward. Someone had to. All hey. right. Sorry, go on. I don't know. This, I was about to take over your show. You please go on. <laughs> well, I was going to say, anything else, or should we just go to the ending part? We have nothing else. All right. I think, oh. I think I'm good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that's all we have for now. So before we finish, who wants to go first with plugging? Who wants to plug? Anyone? Sure, I okay. can plug. Well, um, as always, you can find me and my co-host, Jeff, who I like to call my little lab experiment. You can find us over at Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we, we talk about the most underrated comic of the 80s. And uh, you can find Jeff and Rick Presents, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, wherever you find your lovely podcast. You can also find me over on the Longbox Crusade doing a show called Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout. That's where I talk to people about a movie they have never seen. I give them a movie, send them off to go look at the movie, come back and talk about it. It's a lot of fun. You can find Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout on the Longbox Crusade Network. And um, other than that, you can find me over on Twitter at Jeff Rick Presents. All right. And Tim? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at TimPrice17. And I'm also the regular co-host on the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast of the Right On Network with Astrid Wright. You can find that on Twitter at Hunter's Podcast. Um, also our website, thehunterspodcast.com, because the show shares a feed with the Hunter's Podcast. Funny thing that. You also uh, can find me on my new podcast, the Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast featuring the second most underappreciated series of the 80s. And you can find us at Twitter at Bat Outcasters. Ooh, okay. And as usual, links for all these things will be in the show notes. Oh, guys, thank you very much. And since Mephisto is still keeping us here, uh, everyone just go follow the link for uh, Unpacking the Power Power Pack and the issue that. The episode that's out today will be us talking about issues three and four. Because, well, you should do one of two things, honestly, if you've not read this before. You either need to go listen to that or just go buy all four issues. I, think you should, I, I personally think you should do uh, both. both. Listen to my show. I need the numbers. Okay. Both is good. Go for both. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
This crossover was a good idea. Now they are all out of the house, and I can relax with some My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Fluttershy is so awesome. Oh, wait! I'm late for playing Among Us! I don't want to miss my chance to be the imposter. Let me practice. <coughs> oh, yes, Green, I agree. Blue is totally sus. Ha <laughs> perfect. <laughs> hmm, but I'm a little peckish. Better get some rocky road to tide me over. Wait, empty? By the souls of the damned, who put this back empty? When I find who did this, I'll... Wait, need my bag. Ah, that's better. Wait, what? What is that? Ah, Ghost Rider dogs, stop licking me. No, get down. No, no, not the penance tongues. No!